season two of the ABCs on tips to becoming a highly sought after candidate. You might be thinking, what the heck are ABCs? For me, I focus on authenticity, branding, and connecting, and how it can help you with your job search and navigating your career. And this season, I was inspired by a quote that Emmanuel Acho has mentioned in one of his episodes called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And he said, it's hard to be something when you don't see something. And this was referencing why it was such a big deal that Kamala Harris was appointed as vice president. And so what I've noticed when it comes to Canadian women of color is there's typically a lack of representation of women of color at the management level. So I wanted to interview a variety of Canadian women of color who've held leadership roles and or own their own side hustle. Because not only are they wearing many hats, but they have to navigate structural barriers, a lack of representation at the leadership level, which means that it can affect their confidence, biases, imposter syndrome, and the list goes on as they navigate their careers. And that's why to kick off the season, I'll be interviewing Tazleem Jasani today. She's someone who wears many hats. She's the owner and founder of Rubik's Coaching, which is her executive and intuitive coaching company. She's a manager of talent and people experience at Prospera Credit Union. And she's also a mom of two energetic children and recently adopted kittens. As part of her dedication to inspiring others to live their true lives and leave with their intuition, Taz has this incredible gift to create a safe space, ask great questions, and help others identify the person behind the mask so she can help them unmask to allow their authentic self to shine through, overcome their barriers, and build confidence in themselves. Fun fact about Taz, she was born in Africa and moved to Canada with her family when she was only four years old, and now she calls Canada home. So welcome, Taz. Thank you so much for having me, Angela. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to unpack your story because I know it's hard enough to go from an individual contributor role. So for yourself, it was as a HR strategic partner to then a manager of operations at one of the largest Canadian insurance companies here. So how did that happen? <laughs> Definitely was not planned. Um, I've never been someone in my career that's planned where I'm going to go, mostly because I feel like I've always navigated my life with what am I supposed to be doing here? Like, what am I, what, it, what is my goal? Um, so I always just kind of stayed open to whatever was coming my way. And um, I did find myself in HR and uh, it was just by coincidence, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband said, why don't you look at HR? And, you know, I was like, what is HR? So it was there that I fell into HR and I fell in love with the strategic component of HR. And I quickly moved up in different roles in different organizations because I wanted that strategic component. So when I was at Intact Insurance, I got that strategic role in HR and quickly became a senior business partner, um, very, uh, yeah, I guess quickly built relationships as well with the leaders. And I think it was from just my relationship building and communication and the fact that I didn't just speak HR, but I spoke business 
that the regional VP that I work with at Intact said, would you consider coming in as an underwriting manager? And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know a thing about underwriting except what I know from HR. Um, but really they were looking for someone who could communicate, bring teams together, who could lead performance and, and encourage people to gain confidence and be functioning in, in a higher capacity. So I, with some hesitance, I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. So that's how I came into that role. And um, I did do it for a temporary period of time because I wanted to always return back to HR. But it was great experience to really feel what it's like being front and center in operations and contributing to the company's outcomes. Oh, wow. Like huge kudos to you, by the way, to be, again, hand selected in such a large organization. Like, uh, what do you think was like one of the biggest things that influenced the VP to reach out to you, Taz, and not any of your other counterparts? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I worked with that team very closely, which is one reason is I understood the people that I'm working with, and they could see my style of working, which was um, as I said, I wouldn't just come in to just give those traditional HR updates. Here's what we're doing for performance and talent and this and that. But I would be sitting in discussions around workflow, um, systems changes, how it's going to impact the business, um, the revenue. I was one of those that understood the workings of the business. So even when we were doing any sort of regional presentations, I'd often be asked to come in and speak um, on a on a more strategic level of HR of how how those components fit together to make the business function better and the outcomes greater. So I think they could see that it wasn't just that I could see my role as a functioning HR professional, but actually as a business leader, part of that group and trying to to elevate what we're achieving. Wow, and I'm sure that elevation piece also took a lot of it, like your experience from the past, to help you through navigating those dynamics and it makes me curious like going from HR which is like super like female dominant into the operation side where I, I can only imagine that it's the reverse did you ever have to deal with like biases or barriers as you took on that new managerial role that's a really good question I mean in the insurance industry as well it's quite female dominated but as you very accurately said in the introduction is that despite it being female dominated, as you get into leadership roles, there's less and less females. And as well, um, females are sort of expected to um, function in a more masculine dominated way. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I look at is like feminine versus masculine principle and the behaviors you see in leadership are more masculine focused. So I'd have to say that that becomes challenging um, because, you know, when we use more of the feminine, and that's not just a male-female thing, even for males, when you use more of the feminine, there's using intuition and using like an approach of more emotional intelligence and things like that. I saw a lot less of that as I started to get into higher roles and I could see a lot more stress levels and things amongst the leaders I work with and me included. I started to feel a lot more stressed with achieving the goals and objectives and doing what I needed to do that day without taking a step back to be able to use my intuition or emotional intelligence or connect with the people around me, which was really the biggest part of success on the team. 
So I could definitely see that as a barrier because you're sort of expected to jump in and out of meetings and just be present all the time. And the thing is, you don't have a time to reflect or to just connect with yourself to understand what exactly am I doing here? And, and so I found that definitely a, a big challenge as I started to get into that leadership role. And at what point did it kind of click and you're like, holy crap, like I actually need to create space to reflect and really tap into that intuition piece. Yeah, that I'd say definitely came from my stress levels and my health. I just started to notice I wasn't functioning as my best self. If I was waking up in the morning and feeling a bit of dread, like, oh my gosh, another busy day. I also started to feel a lot more guilt of just not being there for my team and connecting with them, even though I was doing it. I think the thing is, my natural skills as a leader is to be very connected to my team. But I knew I was wasting away, you know, my energy levels because I was trying to be there for them and achieve all the goals and objectives. But that's all doable if we can build in some space. And I think that's when I started to notice that I can create that space for myself and instill that as a leader. But if I just continue to do things the way everyone else in the organization was doing it, that I, I'm not able to then do that for myself and the stress levels were getting higher. So that's when it clicked in for me that I have the power to change that for myself and people will adjust and adapt to my style. So that's what kind of took me into that space. Understanding that as a leader, you already have enough challenges. Like you mentioned earlier, trying to ensure that you're hitting those goals and objectives and managing your own stress. I would imagine that there's that added layer of challenges that come along with being a woman of color in a leadership role. So I'd kind of love to touch on that piece and see how you've navigated those uh, barriers that you might have encountered. Yeah, I love that question. And it's something that's very important for us to just be mindful of. Um, for myself, you know, I don't consider in um, in corporate world necessarily that I had a lot of extreme barriers because of my color. But again, I think it goes back to the way that I grew up that when I first moved to Canada, you know, I was born in Tanzania and Africa and I moved to Canada. Um, there was a fair amount of bullying and racism. And, you know, while we are more mindful and aware of that now, um, as children, we sort of react to the environment that we're in. So I truly believe that for, you know, a lot of people, when we experience things in childhood, that starts to creep up in our corporate space. And so I learned a lot as a child to quiet my voice, just to not really be in the forefront, in the limelight. Um, if I grabbed any attention in any way, you know, whether it be perhaps I bring traditional food in to eat and then made fun of, or even I am sort of um, associated with people who have the same skin color in a way that I was, I didn't enjoy, you know, being teased or being, or assumed that we all are sort of the same person that felt for me very uh, sort of it started to make me feel like if I'm just quiet and hidden in the corner, my life will be a lot easier than if I'm out there in the forefront giving my opinions and pushing back or whatever it is. So in corporate space, I feel like that became why I just preferred to just sit in the background. And I do think for women of color and, and women in general, and 
it depends on the the person and what your upbringing and, and situation. So even for men, this can be very prominent, men of color or whatever it is, is if you've grown up feeling very insecure about having yourself, yourself heard, you know, and putting yourself out there, it's going to come up in your work that you do. So for myself as owning my own business, I have to be out there on social media. And that already does make me worried because I see where there's just nitpicking a lot on social media on what a person says or does, even to the point that uh, at a time at Black Lives Matter, when that all happened, if a business wasn't making any comment about it or just choosing to stay quiet, there was a lot of lashing around that. It just felt like, it feels like you can't really navigate or know what to do because no matter what, someone's gonna get upset somewhere. Um, so in a business that becomes challenging and then being a woman of color and experiencing what I have as a child, there's always that bit of fear that I might put myself out there and get the same treatment. And in a corporate environment, I feel very similar. And it's taken me a lot of time to grow my confidence, to be able to speak up, people seeing that I have value to add, people encouraging me to speak up more. I've had to surround myself by, with some very strong people who have advocated for me to say, speak up. Um, but it still continues to be a challenge. And I think we need to equip women of color with the support, with coaching, with all that it needs to be so that they speak up. They have so much value to add. So let's not for, you know, just for the sake of saying it, let's not paint them with one brush. You know, everyone is unique. Everyone has a different experience. And I think that is the value. We need to see it that way and talk to them specifically as them, not as part of a bigger group, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and I think it's extremely valuable when it comes to that equipping part, because sometimes you don't know where to begin navigating uh, those different barriers, right? So I feel like sometimes it's easier from like um, the frontline perspective to look at your leader and be like, wow, what a shitty leader or like, man, like I, I could do like X, Y, Z so much better, right? But you don't have as much context as some of the stress stuff that you talk about or like being in back to back to back to back meetings is extremely draining, I, I would imagine because you're on, right? So um, if you could offer like one piece of advice to someone who's looking to advance in their career, how can you best equip your leader and have that empathy so that you can also help them help you? Mm, how can you best equip your leader? I mean, again, I think with the work that I do, a lot of what I feel is our ability to handle our lives is all within our control. So I really encourage people to see it in a perspective of taking the focus away from the other person and putting the focus on yourself and what you could do to make your energy levels better and that already equips other people with the ability to handle everything that's going on around you. So even if I'm working with a leader, I encourage that leader to step away from thinking of everyone else and how can you as a leader get what you need? What is causing that discomfort, that struggle? And as soon as that leader starts to get more confidence or ability to understand, or even just space to think and feel good about themselves uh, and function better, they start to become naturally more empathetic and emotionally intelligent to their surroundings. It also allows people to have the resilience to say, that reaction had nothing to do with me. And so I appreciate and understand. 
and that's perhaps where you can bring in the empathy or emotional intelligence to say, I won't engage in that, or I will offer, do you need any support? But stopping to become reactive in every situation is all within our control. And when you do it for yourself, people actually see it, they, they feel it, and they start to also respond in a similar way. And I feel leaders who do that and feel success will also start to teach others that skill. So it just becomes exponentially like this ability to like, you know, uh, you don't have to do much, but that vibration is what I call it. It sort of expands outwards. It's definitely um, experienced, if anything, hey, and um, I was just going to say, I think when individuals are stepping into that leadership role initially, I would imagine that like a few things that would cross your mind is, holy crap, I got to be strong for my people. I have to have a certain front and like, it's hard to truly be your authentic self. And if anything, that takes time. So based on some of the things that you just touched on, um, what would you say is, is a tip for someone to like start pulling that authenticity out of them right away versus like dragging it on and then your, your stress levels become not management. And like, it's a snowball effect, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that connects back to the whole mask thing. You know, we all wear masks and I'd say a lot of that is unconscious and comes from our childhood or just our experiences in life that we build in these masks. And sometimes we believe we're being authentic, but we may not necessarily be um, doing that. And I'd say the first sign of that is discomfort, like just not feeling what you're doing aligns with yourself. Everybody knows that feeling. And it's, you know, those feelings you have when you just know it's the right thing. And it's like, you know, like it's just there. And there's times where you might make a decision and go ahead with something you knew was not the right decision, but you still did it. And after you're like, that wasn't right. It's that's the intuition piece. And I feel like as people grow and develop their intuition, they will understand more and more the discomfort because growth, you know, requires a certain amount of discomfort, but that discomfort should feel right and feel good. Like I need this stretch and this growth for my, for my development. But when it becomes like a growth, that's not comfortable. That's when we, we have to take a look at what's causing the discomfort. I call it identifying the, dis, the um, sort of, you know, it's just being able to say, what is that contrast? You know, why are you feeling the discomfort and what would make it better? And I feel like as soon as people just ask that question, they're able to pivot slightly to what they want to do. And then they're like, oh, I feel so much better. And that discomfort was always internal. And the outside world probably won't notice anything except, oh, you seem a lot more relaxed about your decisions and what you're doing. So it's really about the authenticity, I think, is people just coming back to the core themselves, really getting embodied and, and understanding their emotions and feelings and saying, okay, I'm frustrated a lot. What's going on? You know, um, so that's a key piece of that authenticity and understanding core values and where you're fear, feeling discomfort, where your values are being violated. A lot of that is exploring inward. Oh, wow. And um, with that exploration piece, I come, I feel like it also comes with the ability to identify, hey, this is what I actually need for my career growth, or this is what I actually need others to do in order for them to help me. But then where the disconnect can come in is like, you're like, but I kind of feel like afraid to ask, right? Or like if, if you're raised a certain way where you're, you're taught to give more so than ask, like it almost feels awkward. So how do you kind of navigate that in the corporate world? Hmm. You know, again, it's going to go back to building that 
understanding of yourself and your needs. And you're right. A lot of that comes from our upbringing. And just as children, we don't have the ability to critically think through situations. As children, we are big sponges. And up until the age of seven, everything that happens around us is our reality. So if at some point you're told that there's a worthiness issue, if you're told you know, money is important or high achieving is important to feel accepted, that's what becomes your reality and your subconscious. So that's what you start to operate with as an adult. But as an adult, you have the critical thinking skills to know, you know it's not necessarily all about money or all about this or that but your internal child doesn't know that. So that creates that discrepancy and that fear of going out and asking for what you need or even building boundaries and things like that. But as you start to explore those pieces of yourself, like why are these barriers happening? Why is it difficult for me to ask for what I'm looking for? And you work with an experienced coach, you work with experienced people who can help you uncover things that are deeply rooted you will start to let go of so many of those that as a natural functioning adult, you can critically think, think through like, there's nothing wrong with me asking for this. It's, it's really our childhood fears that create the resistance to asking for what we need because we think we're not gonna be accepted. It's almost that child is coming out at that moment saying, as a child, I wasn't ex accepted by say my parents or my friends when I asked for what I needed. And that just becomes a subconscious belief that we carry with us through our life. And so once we release some of those things, it's become so much easier. So I think our world looks for a lot of validation, you know, and in my work, I see a lot of people who are like, I feel like this, I feel like that. I'm like, you know, you're not the only one. And then they're like, oh, and that validation allows them to say, so I can ask for what I need. There's so many pieces to that, but I think it's, it's very doable. It's just people are, are hesitant because internally their belief systems are sort of a little bit hardwired and, and we need to kind of work, work through those pieces. Um, when you talked about that acceptance piece and just even being um, comfortable drawing boundaries and stuff like that, I know when you're first starting out in your career or when you're first taking on a managerial role, uh, it's hard to say no, right? Because you're like, you want to impress everyone, you want to make sure everyone's happy, but then you realize like that's not sustainable long term at all, right? So um, how did you kind of discover, okay, like this is my boundaries and like this is what can be coming in, but still being flexible, right? So what did that process look like for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I will start off by saying, certainly I'm not perfect at it. And it's something that I'm continuing to grow and develop. So it's one of those things that, um, like we talked about the discomfort as a manager, when I'm like, this is where I want to put my energy, this is where I can't. And understanding that I'm getting burnt out and all those things started to help me realize that I need to put some boundaries in. But what does that look like? And I had to go through my own journey of what were the beliefs I built up in childhood. And a lot of it for me is I'm a highly empathetic person. And because of that, yes, my emotional intelligence is quite high, but my ability to draw boundaries and to say, I don't have the time right now to talk about this because I have something I need to achieve felt really weird because I'm like, no, person comes first. But as a manager, that it's not that we don't want the person to come first, it's that we need to manage expectations. So for me, it's been a journey of where's the discomfort? What am I looking for? I feel like connecting with the right people too, who've gone through that journey, who have said, don't be afraid to say no, 
don't be afraid to say, I have meetings, or can we book that next week? You know, it's, it's a lot of me also absorbing from people around me who I've seen doing it well or reflecting, you know, with them and partnering with them that I've learned those pieces of what's right for me. What's right for me may not be right for you. And that's something as well. So I take it with, again, alignment and that, and, and that feels good for me. Or as soon as I instilled this, it felt good. That's what nav I navigated through. But I still continue every single day to sort of struggle with that whole balancing piece, getting things done. But um, it's just a slow and steady process of okay, if I didn't do that yesterday, did it create a fire? Actually, no. What really is a fire? We all talk that way, put out the fire, put out the fire. I think I've had to say, is that really a fire? And then instilling my team with those same understandings and values, getting them empowered to say, this is not a fire. I can put it aside for something that's important. Um, so lots of those tools. And I'd say, yeah, just connecting with the people that you um, work with daily and getting a really good pulse on them and letting them know your how you work is so important so that they know what to expect from you as well. And when it comes to the people that you work with, because the theme of this podcast is like how to become a highly sought after candidate. So as a manager, as a coach, what are some traits that you've noticed in highly sought after candidates? Yeah, I love this question. I mean, when I am working with people in general, when they impress me, they are looking at things in a big picture perspective and they're asking really good questions. So even when I'm interviewing someone, if they come in, first of all, with an understanding of the competencies we're looking for, you know, I can tell if they've practiced and if they really thought about what are the competencies and what are examples that are going to demonstrate the competencies, I can tell. I really enjoy when someone can come in and tell me, you know, if I ask them a question that they can say, here's the situation I went through. It's the STAR method, right? Situation or task. Here are the actions I took because you don't want someone to come and tell me my team did this. Um, then I'm like, but what did you do in it? Because I want to know how you think and how you function, your critical thinking. So I want to know what process you went through because I'm not looking for an awesome example. I'm looking for what your ability is to navigate through that situation. So I can tell when a person thinks about that. And then I want to know the end result. What happened and what did you learn from it? And I can tell when candidates are really thinking that way that, okay, that person just really wants to know how I work. So that's one piece. The second piece is, while I do appreciate someone's looked into the company, understands what the company's about and stuff, I don't want somebody to regurgitate a bunch of facts about like, you know, you make this much money and you have this many people. That to me is you found it from a website and memorized it. I wanna see what questions are you asking me at the end? You know, are you curious about the team you're coming into? Do you want to know about the projects and initiatives we're working on? What are our goals for the year? Do you, you know, if, if you're really genuinely interested in the organization, you're gonna ask those questions to learn about what is the culture of the team? What is your management style? What kind of person are you looking for? So if a candidate comes and just very shortly gives me an answer, and then at the end, I ask questions and they don't give any questions. Usually I'm like, hmm, but if someone comes in and does that, becomes a really good conversation, I'm like, that person has the critical thinking to navigate the environment that I'm in. And that's what I'm looking for. So I, I'd say for candidates, really focus on the competencies of the role, 
you know, practice your, your accomplishments, your, why was it so important? What did you do to achieve the result in that situation? And ask good questions, be curious, ask questions, because it's so uh, important for the other person to see that you're genuinely interested. Mm, okay. And when it comes to being able to share results, accomplishments, or even like how their skill set aligns with the position that you're hiring for, um, how can someone get good at listing transferable skills? Because I feel like with a lot of people navigating the job market right now, that's one of the hardest things that anyone has to get really good at, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, again, it's going back to if I can give an example, you know, um, if if I'm looking for a recruiter who's going to be doing high volume recruiting all the time, I'm going to be looking for how do you um, manage your time? How do you stay organized? You know, how do you stay efficient? I'm going to be looking for a lot of those skills. I also will be looking for how do you build relationships and how do you build pipeline of candidates and how do you get yourself out there and market yourself? So as a person who's looking for a recruitment role, if you don't have necessarily a recruitment background, if you can give me examples where I can see in your work, you've been efficient, you've been organized, you've achieved you know, opportunities where you've marketed something out there or connected with people or networked, I would say, wow, you can definitely transfer those skills into a recruitment role, right? So that's, again, going back to the competencies. I encourage people to look past you know, just the immediate job description to say, okay, there, you know, if, if this says you're going to be managing 20 to 25 requisitions at a time, you essentially, that means you're going to be balancing and juggling a lot of different steps and you're going to be building relationships. Those are the competencies. And I want to see, you know, examples of that. And you may not have it specifically in recruitment. It'd be nice if you did, But if you came and showed me those skills, I would say, absolutely, I could see that you could take that skill and put it into this role. Beautiful. And when it comes to building relationships, then um, how can job seekers navigate that externally? So if someone were to reach out to you through LinkedIn, cold message you, what is the best way to approach you instead of just saying, hey, take a look at my profile and give me a job essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. And I definitely get a lot of those, especially as a coach and a business leader, is I get these very generic messages of let's connect. And my first question is, why are we connecting? And so, yes, I want some sort of value add of, I saw your profile. I really felt like we have a lot in common. I don't even mind if someone says to me, you know, I'm looking for work and it's just, I, it's very aligned because I saw your experience and would you be open to having a coffee one day just to learn about you? Something like that, that makes, helps me understand why they connected with me is important. And yes, not just a transactional, let me just throw it out there and whomever accepts my invite, I'll connect with you. Uh, also, even on LinkedIn and things, I like it to be a transact, not transactional, but like a back and forth relationship. You know, are you enjoying the, the work I'm putting out there? Are you putting posts up there that I'm finding inspiring? And if it's just a simple, I want to connect with you just to have a bigger network, then to me, it's but then what's the value? Why are you doing this? So that's the networking piece. First of all, if you're going to send a connection request, tell them why. Just let them know why and what is it about their profile that intrigued you? That's one, you know, and second is, do you actually look 
every year at your connections to see, did I speak to this person in the past year? You know, it's the value add touch points. If you're not having any touch points, why is that connection even there is the question that I'd ask. So volume of connections just adds more clutter into your life and in, in my life. So I want it to be a valuable value add, right? So that, that's what I'd say to people. If you're trying to network, give a purpose for it. I really appreciate that um, because I think that's a common theme um, amongst like recruiters or any in individuals who are receiving those large volumes of connections. It's just, well, well, why, like, why do you want to connect with me? Right? And, and some are, are like, you know what, like LinkedIn's to network, so whatever. But um, at the end of the day, it's harder to get your message through, right? So um, thank you for that. And now I kind of want to switch gears a little bit into the coaching work that you do because you host workshops you've had experience coaching executives. So let's, let's start with the authenticity piece. If you were to sit across the table with a person, how would you start understanding? Okay. Like these are the three questions that essentially I want you to think about. So you can begin to unpack and help them reach that level of authenticity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot more of when I'm meeting, let's say I'm talking to an executive and I can I can very much guess, and I think we all can very much guess if it's a surface level conversation. It just, you're not getting deep into reasoning behind the conversation, but it's just a very transactional, you know, here I need you to do this or here I'm doing this. It's, uh, you can feel that wall. So if when I'm coaching someone, the first thing I focus on is trying to create an atmosphere of comfort and trust. So I want them to know I don't judge them. And so if I'm starting to ask questions, it's literally just, oh, you know, tell me why you are, you know, tell me why this is a struggle or, hey, I notice as you're speaking that that situation frustrates you. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And as they're doing that, what I'm doing is validating. I can understand why you feel that way or that makes a lot of sense to me. I can see the connection of why you reacted the way you did. And that makes sense because they want to know that you're not going to start to attack them and say, like, you know, you shouldn't have done that essentially. So, you know, it's, I, I can't say I have specific questions that I ask, but what I navigate with is when do they start feeling more comfortable answering my questions? So if it's superficial at first that we're having back and forth discussions, that might even me being saying, oh, hey, like I can see where you're, you're coming from. And I'll ask curiously, oh, you know, that's interesting that you came to that decision or conclusion. Can you tell me how you arrived there? It's that curiosity and them seeing that I'm not going to judge or come back and ask, you know, tell them they're doing it wrong. That allows them to open up more. That in itself is the key way to get to an authentic person. And then the more you validate that I get where you're coming from or that struggle, they start to feel more comfortable in their authenticity of why they did what they did. I think a lot of people don't see, for example, if they react in anger, that it's actually because they're responding to a boundary violation. So people just start to feel more guilty. Like, I know I tend to get angry. And then I'm like, but your anger was for a purpose. So we need to get back to that root. And if that boundary had been set, what does that look like? And if it was set, would that have helped your situation? They start to connect the pieces and feel less guilt and discomfort that they reacted emotionally. They think in this environment and in our 
space in our cultural like society there's no space for emotions you shouldn't have reacted that way you shouldn't be too emotional but what we need to do even as a coach what i do is your emotion was valid but perhaps your response could have been done differently but we don't even want to go there yet we want to go back to what needed to have been in place for you to not respond explosively and that comfort that they know oh it's something i can put in place that can help my reaction already gives them such a sense of freedom and joy that they start to embrace more of that authenticity of oh okay if i am getting angry or if i'm starting to feel my blood boiling likely that's because they're violating a boundary of mine so if that makes sense that's how i'm getting to that authenticity piece Wonderful. And based on like some of the things that you've uh, touched on in terms of what you will walk someone through, uh, I guess what is one activity that um, the average person can walk themselves through to like hone in on that intuition um, when, when they are tapping into those emotions or anything like that? Yeah, honestly, um, it becomes very complicated and depends on where a person's at, but the best thing to do is just take a moment and take some deep breaths. That's, and I know we talk about it all the time, but it's what I said before is that space. When you're going from meeting to meeting to meeting, I think people don't really understand what that does to our body. The fact that our body goes through that much stress and not enough time to process and what's called rest and digest state, parasympathetic state, causes us to go in fight or flight, and it actually causes part, parts of our body to shut down, including our mental functioning, and even our uh, emotional intelligence and our intuition, they start to shut down, because we start to go into a state of hyper, I need to protect myself. Now, the more you get into a fight or flight state, the less you can react in a way that is out of your intuition. So for people, if you can just build in a break, feel that opportunity to say, I need 15 minutes between meetings. So you can walk away from the computer and take a deep breath. Or if you're getting into an emotional state, being comfortable with saying, I'm getting overwhelmed at this point, or, you know, I can tell that I'm not in the right state of mind that I'm getting a little bit frustrated. I need a break so we can revisit that conversation. And then going away and taking some deep breaths or taking a walk and deep breath, it brings you back into parasympathetic, which gets you out of fight or flight. In the fight or flight function, it starts to pump up cortisol in our body and we need to make that come down. We need the hormonal systems in our bodies to, to get our bodies back into a state of ease and out of fight or flight so we can respond in a way that's more you know, um, out of intuition or out of uh, emotional intelligence if that makes sense. So just deep breathing and, you know, doing some guided meditations, even if before bed, you could do a simple body scan or first thing in the morning, listen to a body scan. It is amazing what that will do to reset your body. And during the day, if you have a moment, I mean, most of us are working from home. You can literally shut off your screen and just lie on the floor and listen to a five minute body scan it'll make a massive difference for you in your days. So that's something you can do that I highly encourage. I agree with you 3000% when it comes to that body scan, all the mindfulness stuff that you've uh, touched on too, because uh, you leading that 30 day um, meditation challenge um, a couple of months ago, 
um, I noticed a huge difference in um, how I started my day, right? And I, I think a lot of the individuals involved in that challenge could attest to that too. Um, and I think, I think it makes a big difference in how you interact with others, right? Whether it's you're interviewing someone or you're, you're going into your next meetings or you're inter interacting with a client, right? You're not carrying burden from one to another because you're in water flight mode, right? Exactly. That's absolutely it. Awesome. So I'm going to wrap up our conversation with a lightning round. Um, so the purpose of this is just to get to know you a little bit better uh, beyond what you've already shared and it's meant to go fast. So you just list the first thing that comes to mind essentially. Um, so are you ready for it? As ready as I'll ever be, I guess. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so the first question is what's the last memorable book that you've read? Mm, I am reading right now the book on scrum and that one is memorable because I'm reading it right now and I love it. It's awesome. It just talks about scrum methodology and how you can um, piece the work that you do. Um, and it's awesome. And I'm implementing some of those things with my team right now. I highly recommend it to everyone to read that and to bring those practices into your work. It's awesome. Okay. And who's the author of uh, the book that you're reading right now for Scrum? Or is there just a variety? There, there's an author. And honestly, Angela, I'm the worst at remembering authors. But if you just look up Scrum, you'll find him. Okay. <laughs> as, well, as well as there's one, because if there's like a hundred, then I'll be like, okay, I guess I'm reading all of them. But good to know. Um, okay. Who was one of the most inspirational women of color slash leaders you've encountered in this last little bit? <sighs> This last little bit, and you're telling me lightning round, but I can't, um, I, I go by inspiring people that I've worked with. And so usually they're not, it's not necessarily if they're women of color or not. I just look at the way that they function. So for me, um, I don't have anyone in particular, but it's usually the leaders that I've worked with, like VPs and leaders in my organization. And definitely um, the VP that I worked with at Intact Insurance and HR was extremely inspiring for me. So, um, you know, comes from cultural background too. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that one. That's very inspiring to me. Okay, so everyone after this episode, go search Intact Insurance and just <laughs> find, find that VP, right? Um, okay, uh, and last uh, lightning round question is, um, what is one rec uh, restaurant that you'd recommend in your area? This is like the foodie in me coming in. Oh my gosh, I live in Coquitlam and the Greek, they I think it's called Greek Taverna now, is awesome it's so good but they're always very very busy but you have to try it out they're great okay adding that to my list and um i guess just to like wrap up this entire conversation then what's one thing you're excited about over the next couple of months and what is the best way for people to stay connected with you yeah for sure um so i'm super excited in terms of my rubik's coaching business with some of the stuff that i have coming up because not only do i do one-on-one -on -one coaching but i offer programs um, for specifically like people who are looking to dig into their intuition so um, the 28 day uh, meditation challenge that you referred to i'm hosting another one that's starting march 1st i'm super excited about that because as you said the women i had in october last year absolutely loved it and and I say women because mostly it's women who are interested but I really would love to see more men engaging in this um and uh, so I'm doing it it's absolutely free 
And so I'd really encourage people to, it's on my website on www.rubixcoaching.com. And you can just go there and sign up. So I'm excited about that. I do a wise women's program that is, um, you know, I'd say like every couple of months I offer this. And this digs into, especially for women, um, because of sort of how we have in organizations learned to sort of play small and not be bold and not speak up. Um, and it's, it's, it's just the sort of the nature of how we've been raised and things. And so in that program, we work a lot on like getting yourself, like your emotional landscape and you know, trusting your intuition and how you can set boundaries and speak up more. So I have another round of wise women starting in April, which will be amazing. Cause I have a group right now who's incredible. Who's about to graduate soon in March. So that, um, and I'm just expanding the type of tools that I have to work with people. I'm going to be introducing hypnotherapy, which I know in Hollywood, there's a lot of, you know, sort of um, notions about hypnotherapy, and I'm going to make you bark like a dog as soon as the doorbell rings, but that's not what it is. Uh, it's a very gentle approach to helping people uncover things from their childhood that have been rooted deep in their subconscious, and it's coming out in in their life now from maybe depression, anxiety, anger, um, frustration, and just there's so many things that happen now that are deeply rooted in our childhood we didn't even know. So I'm going to be introducing that as part of my coaching for people who are interested um, I'm going to be looking at offering even some certifications around intuitive coaching, if that's somebody that someone's interested in to become an intuitive coach. So there's lots of exciting things that I'm working on. Um, so certainly go over to my website. You can find all my contact information on there. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, on Facebook, I have a Rubik's coaching page. You can message me there. Um, and you can even find me on Instagram. It's under my own profile, Tasleem Jasani. And uh, you can connect with me any of those avenues and just see some of the work that I'm doing. Sounds like the next couple of months are going to be exciting for you, Tess. And I'm so appreciative that you took the time out of your busy schedule to share about your experience and to also provide tips to those who are looking to navigate their job search and or progress in their careers. And I'm even more excited to be able to follow along your journey over the next couple of months and continue to witness the positive impact that you're going to make on others' lives. And to everyone else, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the ABCs to Becoming a Highly Sought After Candidate. If you haven't already done so, I'd recommend giving Taz a follow on LinkedIn or connecting with her through her website, Rubik's Coaching. If you are excited for more tips to becoming a highly sought after candidate, I'd recommend tuning in to my next episode. Till then, stay safe. Thank you, Angela, again for having me. It's such a great honor to share what I've learned with the people out there and also a great honor for me to work with you and someone who's so inspiring and gets all these incredible messages out there to the audience. Uh, I'm very grateful and I think a lot of people are grateful to you for this platform and opportunity to get these messages out there. So thank you for that.